yeah, I can't see and there's parts of my day every day that are so hard. But if I sat there and thought about them, I wouldn't get anywhere. So I just had that mentality of it's not an excuse, it's just my situation and I've just got to make the most of it. You're listening to Stand Out Get Noticed, the show that helps you communicate with confidence so you can stand out from the crowd and get noticed by all the right people. To subscribe to the show, go to thecmethod.com. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to episode 86 of Stand Out Get Noticed. My name is Christina Cantors, communication skills speaker, coach, and host of this show. I hope you're doing well today. I am doing fantastic. It's a boiling hot day in Melbourne at the moment, but I'm inside and it's nice and cool, so can't complain. Now, I'm really excited to introduce you to my very special guest this week, and he has an incredible story to share. His name is Ben Pettingill, and at age 16, he lost his eyesight overnight to a rare genetic syndrome, Leber's hereditary optic neuropathy. This sudden traumatic event turned his world upside down, as you'd expect. It redefined everything he knew and crushed all his childhood dreams in an instant. Yet, it was also the beginning for him. Ben is now 21 years old, and he is a motivational speaker who inspires, educates, and empowers his audience. So I met Ben at a podcasting workshop that I was running at Vision Australia, and I was so inspired by his his story, I knew I had to get him on the show. So he came into Hub, my co-work space, and we had a chat about his no excuses mentality, how he overcomes challenges like running the Spartan race untethered, yes, first person to ever do that. He, we talk about how everyone has a story to share, even if you don't think that you do. So listen to this episode and I promise you will feel inspired to stop making excuses. You want to get out there and prove all those doubters wrong. Rocky style. Yeah. Show notes will be at thecmethod.com slash Ben. Also in this episode, I'm very excited to introduce you to Michael Duong, who joined Ben and I for this conversation. So Michael is a business and marketing student at RMIT University, and he's recently come on board at The C Method. He's helping me out with the podcast, both with the production and with interviewing guests. So you'll be hearing more about about him and from him in future episodes. There's actually an interesting story of how we started working together, but I'll save that for another episode. Okay, before we get to the chat with Ben and Michael, I have two announcements. Firstly, Remember how I told you last week I was competing in a Toastmasters competition? If you didn't listen to last the last episode, earlier this year I won the club competition and last week I competed in the, in, in the next level up, which is the district level. And, drum roll, I won again! Yay! Now, that means that I progressed to the next level, which is where I represent my district, I believe, and I compete against other districts, and that's in February. And if I win that, I go to the state championships. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So, can I become the Australian public speaking champion and maybe even the world public speaking champion? We will see. And my second announcement is... Well, this has been a long time coming. 
I've had a number of requests from people who have gone through my Small Talk Made Simple course to create an ebook out of the course. And I've been working on it on and off over the last few months. And I'm excited to say that it's finally almost ready to launch. I can reveal it's called The Confidence Blueprint and it contains bonus lessons not featured in the Small Talk course. So it's like an extension of that course. I'll be launching that in the next few weeks and I will let you know here when you can go and grab a copy. This will be my very first book, which is probably why it's taken me so long to finish it because I've just been wanting to get it right. But in the spirit of this episode, which is no excuses, I've decided I have to just release the damn thing. So stay tuned for that release. Alrighty, let's meet the super inspiring, no excuses man, Ben Pettingill. We met at the Vision Australia, well, we met at Vision Australia where I was helping you learn about podcasting. When I found out about what you did, I was really excited and I thought, you know, I've got to get him on the show because you're, you're 23, Right, twenty one. Twenty. What? Why did I think you were twenty three? Well, I don't know. There's a rumor going around that I'm twenty three, but actually, well, you're very mature for your age. So, so, so you're twenty one years old, and you're a professional speaker. You get flown around the country to and and to to speak at large corporate events and to schools. Yep. Is that correct? That is correct. That's an unusual profession of someone your age. Can you share with us how you got into professional speaking? Yeah, definitely. So. As Christina, like you just mentioned, we met at Vision Australia and I suppose I'll take you back a little bit and start there because that's where the whole journey started. And when I was 16 years old, I actually lost 98% of my sight overnight to a rare genetic syndrome. Everything was all good for 16 years, 2020 vision and then went to sleep one night and woke up the next day and it was gone just like that. And since then, I went through and finished school. This is the very, very summarized version of the story and ended up at the end of schools thought what do I want to do not sure I'm visually impaired where should I go ended up at university doing a business degree and three months into that I came home and I was looking at my homework and I knew the answers it was easy but it was that day when I found myself color coding my sock drawer I was like this isn't for me <laughs> like this isn't where my passions lie. I can't see myself doing this course doing a career in this course in three years time it's not not for me so what I did was I literally quit university then and there and thought I've learned so many lessons through losing my eyesight I want to get into speaking and wasn't really sure how but just started to carve my way off my own bat and um, get mentoring and coaching off different speakers that had been there and done that and that's that's where it all started was that time where I was like I'm at university not for me I'm for other people everyone else around me my parents my um, family my friends my teachers at the time were all saying the only way the blind kid's going to get anywhere he's go to university. And that's that's nothing against them. They were doing it out of love because they thought it was going to be easy for me. But, however, it took me three months to go, I'm actually not here for me. I'm here for everybody else and I need to do what's right for me and what I'm passionate about on the inside. So that's when I drew the line in the sand, signed the quitting papers, went home and started to pursue a career in speaking. Wow. And tell me about that very first speaking gig that you had. The very first speaking gig was actually at my old school. So it was only, would have only been just over a year after I graduated. So it was two, over two years ago now. And it was at their year 12 study camp. And literally one of the teachers that was my teacher at the time, 
and we got along really well, rang me up two nights before and said, oh, would you mind coming in and speaking to the Year 12s and tell them about your challenges and how you got through and a bit of inspiration, a bit of encouragement. And I knew I wanted to get into speaking. I'd mentioned that to her, so she thought it was a good chance for me to practice and that was the first gig and ever since then it's just been gig after gig after gig and growing and, yeah, loving every minute of it. Wow. Were you nervous before that first I think speech? it was lucky that I was at my old school and I had no idea about the industry, no idea that you could make such a, a career out of speaking that people would pay top dollar for an hour keynote, anything like that. I had no idea and literally rocked up in shorts and thongs and a T-shirt because it was my old school and <laughs> spoke for half an hour and that was that. But now it's completely different to rocking up in a suit and tie to a corporate organisation. But that's all happened in two years' time. Yeah, absolutely. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in your career as a professional speaker, going from speaking at your old school in your shorts to speaking in suit and tie at large corporates? I think that your message and is so worthy and and that's, that's very broad but um, I'm trying to – Put, put this into words it's it's so interesting because your message and your life experience it's priceless and I, I did like for me it was just my story I didn't really it wasn't really a story yeah I'd experienced losing my eyesight overnight but that was just normal to me and I didn't know that it was a worthwhile story and people could learn and discover things from that and it was that turning point where I go where I actually realized that I had a message to share and help people discover things and help people transform in their own lives, literally from what I'd experienced, that was eye-opening in a sense for me. Mm. And some people listening might think, well, you've gone through something that's huge, right? Losing your eyesight is huge. It's a, it's a massive big deal. But what about, you know, for people thinking, well, I don't have anything that's massive that, that could be, you know, worthwhile sharing with people? Why would people want to hear what I have to say? What would you have to say to them? I, I'm a strong believer that absolutely everybody has a story and, and people tell me that all the time, oh, but, but your story's you're, you're in such a much worse situation than I am or your circumstances, it must be so difficult or I've never been through anything like that. But I'm such a, such a massive believer that every single person in the world has their own set of circumstances, has their own situation, whether it's financial, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a disability like my own, whatever it is, every single person's got their own set of circumstances that throws challenges and obstacles their way and therefore has a story. And even if you don't have a story, you've got life experience. Like if you don't believe you've got a story, you've got life experience, which is a story in itself, and you've learned so many things through that. And in every story, there's lessons to share. Because I was in that exact position two years ago when I thought, I want to get into motivational speaking, but I wouldn't really know what to speak about. I wouldn't know what to share with people. And then it, it took probably six to 12 months of really diving deep into what I'd experienced, challenges I'd faced, how I'd gotten through them, the, the formulas I'd used, and then breaking, yeah, breaking down how I got through challenges into formulas and principles to help teach people. And it was that whole process that was yeah, really, really enlightening and, and massively uh, rewarding for me but when you sit back and look at your story for the first time you go oh no there's not much to share but there is in every single person's story there's value there mm. well I gotta say I, I experienced a similar thing like when I quit my job went traveling came back started my own business I didn't think 
too much of it. I just thought, well, I'm just doing what I do. That's what I wanted to do. And then people, and my message, I thought my message was about what I was teaching, as in the communication skills, confidence, all of that. But then people started asking me to speak about, tell us about your journey. Like, how did, why, why did you quit your job? And people were really fasc- fascinated by that. And I wasn't, I didn't realize how important that would actually be as a message to other people. Yeah, and all the challenges and obstacles you would have faced from quitting your job to even starting your business. There would have been so many there and similar to me, but you don't even realize you go through them because it's just a natural progression. Mm. Do you have anything to add there, Michael? Well, I feel like everyone has their own dreams in a sense and it just people just need to know how to follow those dreams. And I feel like inspirational people like yourself, Christina, and yourself, Ben, people like you that follow their dreams are people that we look up to, uh, people that want to be you. Do you feel like that's how people look up to you? I think they do, but it's funny you say that because a lot of oh, I have people tell me very, very often that they look up to me and I'm, my story is so inspirational. But in a way, a lot of those people that say that to me, I'm looking up to them for different reasons and going, but that part of their life inspires me so much. And that, and they wouldn't take credit for that. Fair enough. So that's why you always talk about how everyone has their own story to tell because you look up to one person and they look up to you. So each person has a story to share pretty much. Exactly. And especially in Australian culture, it's such a massive thing to talk yourself down and be so humble that, you, you tend to go, oh, no, 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 I, I didn't really deal with too much. Mine was pretty easy compared to yours and compared to Christina's or whatever that may be. And I think that's just a natural way that we go through life, whereas different cultures, say America's a lot different, where they're, they're more likely and it's a lot more natural for them to go, I do have a story to tell and it's worthwhile, whereas it's something that in Australia I think we're coming around too slowly but it, it does take a lot longer and it's not natural. It doesn't come natural to us to be anything but humble. Because as soon as you start to talk yourself up, people then shut you down straight away. That's it. And people, I find that people are hesitant to pay compliments to your face, right, because they, they're like, oh, we don't want them to get a big head. Yeah, tall poppy syndrome. Exactly. It's very much part of our culture. Yeah. So, Ben, when you lost most of your eyesight you were 16 years old it's a quite a critical time for people in general you know you growing up in school it's you know you're going through a lot of changes did that did losing your eyesight affect your confidence in yourself I think for me confidence I I was always a confident kid growing up and it probably dampened it a little bit but it also ignited that spark because people expected you to be less confident so for me, it's that, that case of if people are saying, now just take it easy, you don't have to do any of the things that you used to do, you don't have to take any risks, anything like that, I also wanted to prove them wrong. <laughs> I <So> love that. <laughs> it's just that natural thing of you tell me I can't do it and I'll make sure that I can do it. So, And I've adapted and always believed in a mentality of no excuses. Like I said, everybody's got their own set of circumstances and we've just got to accept them and work with them because if we don't, then we're just going to sit there, feel sorry for ourselves and give ourselves a sympathy vote and I wasn't about that at all. So I just had this mentality of, yeah, I can't see and let's be honest, it's a terrible situation. There's it's ch- there's challenging every single day. There's parts of my day every day that are so hard but if I sat there and thought about them, I wouldn't get anywhere. So I just had that mentality of it's not an excuse 
it's just my situation and I've just got to make the most of it. What sort of excuses do you find people making on a day-to-day basis that holds them back? Oh, absolutely anything. And I, and I think I realised that when during school I was even making excuses that I shouldn't have been. So I, I, I'm a massive person to say and stand up and put my hand up and say, I used my eyesight and my, or my visual impairment as an excuse, whether it was homework at school, whatever it was, whether it was not doing the dishes at home, I had an excuse. But then it got to a point where I was like, you know what? I could have done that homework. I could have done the dishes. I could have, from the biggest things to the littlest things, it was actually me holding myself back of not reaching my potential and not doing the best I could just be, simply because I was taking the easy road out. So I don't think it's a matter of what excuses are, are more more popular or what's a normal excuse and what's not a normal excuse. It's just it's a choice. It's a choice whether you accept your situation and work with it or decide to push against it. I think it's a fantastic attitude to have and I catch myself making excuses in my head, you know, and I think it's really important for people to simply be aware first off, you know, that they're making these excuses and that because some people may not even realise that they're doing it and they just go, oh, I'm not doing that because of this and they don't actually realise that that's simply an excuse that, that's just holding them back for no particular reason whatsoever. Definitely. And, and like you just said, it comes naturally and, and that's okay. It's okay for us to catch ourselves out. We don't have to slap ourselves on the wrist and, and feel bad if we do catch ourselves making an excuse or not doing something because of our circumstances. Well, there's often times where I'll stop myself from doing something and go, hang on, I'm not going to give that a go because it's going to be too hard. And it might be a day, a week, even a month, maybe a year later where I go, actually, let's give that a go. Mm. It's, it's not necessarily that split second where you go, oh, no, that's an excuse. I'm not going to let that get in the way. Sometimes it takes weeks, months and years to sink in and actually go, hang on, I stopped myself from doing that. And it's in hindsight that you look back and go, maybe it's not too late to give that thing a go or start speaking or whatever it happens to be even get back into a dating scene, whatever it happens to be. There's so many different situations and circumstances that you can or examples that we could use. I saw that you did a Spartan race. How was that? Spartan race. So that's one of the hardest obstacle course races in the world. And funny story, and it all started when I was just getting into speaking and mentoring and things like that. I actually got flown up to Sydney to have lunch with a lady who'd done her Achilles. She was a personal trainer and she'd injured her Achilles and I didn't know it at the time but, Apparently, if you're a personal trainer and you do your Achilles, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> so she was a bit down in the dumps. So I went up there to have lunch with her, tell her my story, and she'd tell me hers. We'd get along, and hopefully my story would give her some inspiration as well. So that was all well and good. Went up there, and she was telling me over lunch, she said, oh, Ben, I'm really, really sad. Like this weekend was going to be my first ever Spartan race. And then she must have had like a light bulb moment because then in a split second, she's just gone, Ben, 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 you should do a Spartan race. And I'm only like 19 years old at the time and full of confidence. So I've just gone, yeah, sure, I'll do a Spartan race. And then I had that like that second afterwards where you go, hang on a minute. <laughs> What's a Spartan race? <laughs> and then she, she was already excited by this point. She's like, oh, so it's like 21 kilometres. You'll have to run through the bush. You'll have to swim through creeks. You'll have to haul up ropes, crawl under barbed wire and even jump over fire. And I was like, right, that's a Spartan race. <laughs> And she's like, so it's like the hardest obstacle course race in the world, but 
because you're legally blind, you're going to have to do it tethered. And tethered means tied to someone else. So because I couldn't see, the only way I was allowed to do it was tied to someone else. But as I said, I'm such a big believer of not letting your circumstances or situation hold you back. So I dug my feet and I said, if I could have done this untethered when I was 16 and could see, I want to do it untethered now. And Kathy said, yeah, I know you want to do that. And she was big involved in the, the that sort of industry. So she knew all the ins and outs and said, there hasn't been a single legally blind person in the world that's ever competed in an obstacle course race untethered, let alone a Spartan race. Like I was hoping she was going to tell me that there was one. Yeah. Just, just to give me some <laughs> <None>. hope. <laughs> no, not one. And that's when it got challenging and I grabbed my best mate and I said, I need your help and I knew that he believed in me and that that's such a thing that I think is so important in life in general and in any sort of situation that you're faced with, you've got to have the right people around you that are going to keep pushing you forward through those excuses because I knew there was going to be times where I didn't believe in myself and knew, thought that I wouldn't be able to make it through the race and started making excuses and you need someone behind you going, no, you can do it and that's why I chose my best mate and um, yeah, grabbed him. We did a heap of training, got to the day and ended up getting through the race. But it was – there's actually a funny moment in the middle of the race and it was oh, – it would have been about 16 or 17 k's through. And there was this obstacle. It was a tyre hanging in the tree about 25 metres away and you had to throw a spear through it. <laughs> and, okay. And I'm standing there going, this obstacle isn't fair. Yeah. Like, this isn't made <laughs> for me. And – my mate Stuart, he lines me up and says, just give it a go, give it your best shot. And I've thrown this spear and I swear it just went sailing straight through the middle of the tyre. But everyone standing around said it dropped 15 metres short. <laughs> and the problem with the Spartan race is that there's like a little official guy at every obstacle that makes you do a punishment if you fail the first time. And that's oh. where Spartan race stands alone is every obstacle, there's a punishment. If you can't do it the first time, there's a punishment before you can move on. What was your punishment? So this one was 30 burpees. Oh, good times. Yeah, great classic hits. So yeah. <laughs> there, there we are and I'm, I've started to make excuses to this official guy and he's just I've just said, oh, but I'm visually impaired. Like that's not fair. Surely I don't have to do the, the punishment. Please, please, please. Like I'm cramping up. I'm tired. I'm mentally fatigued from listening to footsteps and all that sort of stuff. And he just said, hang on a minute. I've heard about you. Weren't you the guy that wanted to do this like everybody else? Yeah. Mm. And at that point in time, I was like, stuff you. But he was right because he he's made me realise and put me back in my place and thought, actually, that's exactly why I wanted to do it, to prove to everyone that no matter what the situation is, you can do it the same as everybody else. Mm. So it was a massive, massive learning lesson for me, but also a massive achievement when we crossed the line a few k's later. Absolutely. Yeah. So did your mate have to talk you through each of the obstacles? Yeah. Every, there was 35 obstacles and he had to describe every single one. People often say to me, surely because you couldn't see, you got taken around the course first and so you could feel your way through the obstacles before you actually had to do it. And I say no because no one else got to do that. Mm. They all saw it for the first time just as I felt it for the first time. And it was just as mentally tiring as it was physically because I had to listen to every footstep that Stuart took in front of me. If they were evenly placed apart when we were running, we were on flat ground. 
if they were closer together, we were going up a hill. If they were further apart, we were going down a hill. All that sort of stuff was so mentally draining. Like if he was going over sticks and bark and leaves and stuff, I knew there was trees around and I had to try and watch out. But that's the sort of – I actually say that it was more mentally tiring for me than physically. Mm. Did you did you trip over rocks and things? Yeah, I think I rolled my ankle 17 times in oh 21 days. <laughs> I thought that was a good ratio. <laughs> Less rolled ankles than kilometres run. But and but at the same time, I, I never blamed Stuart for that or anything like that because he was two people's eyes mm. and that was the challenge I was facing. I knew it was going to happen and if I, the first time I rolled my ankle, I had gone, well, this is too hard, I'm just going to quit, then I never would have got anywhere. And I'd have that same attitude in other things as well. I think that's incredible. Like it's you hear people who are cited making tons of excuses as to why they can't do burpees or whatever. And I I did a 10K Spartan race and that was hard enough with like cited. So mm. um, I commend you on completing <laughs> it. They're, they're not easy. I wouldn't recommend them just for a fun Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Because you are so immensely confident in yourself, I want to ask you, where does this confidence come from? That's a great question and I mean it's a question that I can't answer solidly as in the way to get confidence is this or X, Y, Z because for me, like I said, I've always been confident naturally but there's always challenges and obstacles that come your way and I think confidence comes from not being fearful. If you're fearful and scared of failure, then you're less confident but if you're, if you're not so much worried about failure, then you're going to be more confident. So speaking of fears, have you ever had like a big fear in your life that you wouldn't be back into that normal lifestyle after you lost you lost your eyesight? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, there's a great example at the moment. And about two years up, so I, was, I loved water skiing. Loved water skiing as a hobby. And two years after I lost my eyesight, it was two days into year 12. So we did Thursday, Friday, then it was the weekend. And on the Sunday... We went up water skiing, me and my family, and I went out to do a turn on one ski and I actually broke four bones in my ankle. I spent the first term of year 12 in a wheelchair with two big screws through my ankle that are still there now. And then the next time I went out skiing, I was immensely scared. The doctor said, don't be stupid, you're blind, don't ever water ski again. And now I'm actually battling with an even bigger fear. I'm actually skiing in the Southern 80, which is the... Fastest water skiing race in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm what? skiing that. <laughs> okay. So, but that, that's, again, that's just one of those things that without confidence, you're not going to step out of your comfort zone. And I think they go hand in hand. If you're prepared to step out of your comfort zone and do something that doesn't come naturally, that doesn't come easily, that's where your confidence comes from. And the more you do that, the more confident you'll be in every area of life. It must sound crazy. You just losing your eyesight and a few days later, you're, Water skiing, that's that's crazy to hear. Yeah, probably stupid. Yeah. <laughs> most most people would say. The doctors were telling me. But it's one of those things that, like I said, don't let your circumstances stop you. And just because I couldn't see didn't mean that I wasn't going to do the things that I love. Sure, sure, I was playing basketball six days a week and there was no way that I could play basketball the exact same with the same team members without being able to see. But water skiing, you're holding on to a handle behind the boat you're feeling where you're going most of the time and why not? But it's also finding ways of doing things differently. That's what I say to people so often is that, oh, how do you water ski? Because you can't see. 
So yeah, I can't see, but you've just got to find ways to do things differently. So now I wear a helmet that the driver can talk to me and, uh, just, okay. and describe when the waves are coming, when we're turning, things like that. So it's just finding ways around things. And I used to labour for a builder after I lost my eyesight. And people say, surely you couldn't labour for a builder. I said, yeah, I can. And I did all the jobs and it was the exact same result, but I got there very differently. So it's just taking a different path. Have all your other senses become extremely heightened as a result of your sight not functioning as, as it used to? Mm. Hearing, definitely. Hearing's definitely picked up. And people say, that'd be great. You can hear like everything. <laughs> and I go, no, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. You hear things you don't want to hear. <laughs> but it's great in a quiet situation. But imagine being in a loud restaurant and not only is the conversation between you and I louder, everybody else's conversation at every other table is also louder. So in a loud setting, the background noise is heightened that much that it actually makes it hard for me to hear you because I can't see your body language, I can't lip read because we get so much from non-verbals. So you could be saying four or five different words, but if I could see your lips and see your body language, I could probably pick exactly what word that was. But because of all the background noise, it makes it hard to hear. So so how do you now, I mean, I, I was actually just with a, a client and we were talking about how when you're on the phone to someone, you actually lose about half of that of the communication because you don't get the non-verbals. So for you, when you're talking to people, when you're reading people and figuring out what they're all about, understanding what they're saying, what do you do now to to sort of get that message that you're not getting through the visuals? Yeah, that's a that's a <laughs> tough question. Um, for me, you, you've just got to be switched on to other signs, whether it's even a, a croakiness in their voice if they're feeling uneasy. There's different cues that you can pick up and I can listen. If someone's nervous, they'll be shuffling their feet or fiddling or doing something like that and it's hard to recognise that sort of thing. But when, you're, when you have to be in tune with it because you can't recognise that other sense, that visual sense, yeah, you soon find a way. So um, when you talk to people, you listen way more in a sense, and you listen to what they have to say and you ask what they what they feel, right? So does that impact your relationship? Because I, I read up that you have a, uh, a wife or a girlfriend at the moment. How's the relationship with her? I do have a girlfriend at the moment. Her name's Amy, and hopefully it's for longer than at the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it lasts. No, it will. But... I'll answer this question in an interesting way. So my whole message as a speaker is true vision. So I lost my vision at age 16, but I discovered true vision. And to explain that is I can no longer judge anyone from what they look like. I can no longer have an opinion, make an opinion, have a preconceived idea about what someone's going to be like from the way they look. I now have to get to know people from the inside out instead of from the outside in. So I have to... Put all those preconceived. I no longer have all those preconceived ideas. So when I'm meeting someone for the first time, I don't have a, a judgment in my head of what sort of person they may be like, or what sort of personality they may or may not have. So I now meet someone, and it's like having a blank canvas and drawing the picture of them with their personality, and getting to know them for who they really are instead of what they look like. So that's what true vision's all about, and then we apply that to business and situations. But it can also be applied to yourself when you look in the mirror. It's so natural for us to look in the mirror and go, 
I don't like the way my eyes are, my eyelashes, my hair, my this, my muscles, whatever. And now I look in the mirror and I have to look inside myself. So true vision can be applied to yourself, the people around you and situations. And that hopefully that answers your question because that's how now my vision's changed and is so much clearer. I see the world clearer now than I did before. So, with, yeah, with 2% eyesight, I reckon I can see clearer than I ever did before. And to answer your question with my relationship with Amy, it, it was a similar thing again because she'd always have people, if she put a nice-looking photo of her up on Facebook, then she'd get all these messages. But when she put a status up about how she was feeling, no one would contact her. But So our, our connection was purely on her personality. There was no, I like the way you look or I like the way your eyes are or I love your smile. There was, there was none of that. It was literally she knew that when I said I liked her, it was because of who she was. And for her to like me and know that even though our relationship will be different because I can't see, it's still worthwhile and it's still so much more rewarding in other ways as well. Love it. Thank you so much, Ben, for joining us on the show. If people want to learn more about you and, and what you do and how they can get in touch with you, where can they connect? Yeah, for sure. So they can jump on Facebook or the website. So that's at Ben Pettingill. So P-E-T-T-I-N-G-I-L-L. So Ben Pettingill on Facebook. Keep up to date with the Southern 80 and how we're going there. Heaps of live videos of training and stuff like that. We're always chucking up. Watch me crash. <laughs> and yeah, and for the speaking side of things, jump on the website, www.benpettingill.com. Fantastic. Any final words for the listeners? I think for me it's just that, as we've talked about all day, everybody's got their situation and everybody's got their own set of circumstances, but don't let it limit what you can achieve in life. Perfect. Remember, everyone, no excuses. Thank you you for having (laughs) me. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) No worries. Thank you and thanks, Michael, as well. Thank you all. Thanks to Ben Pettingill for being an amazing guest on the show this week and also to Michael Duong for helping me out and joining me for the conversation. You can find more about what Ben does at benpettingill.com or simply visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash Ben. That's thecmethod.com slash Ben. Alrighty, Rockstar, hope you enjoyed this episode. Oh, remember to stay tuned for my first book, The Confidence Blueprint, which will be launching in the next few weeks. It's based on and building upon the Small Talk Made Simple class, which is a 10-day email course to help you be more confident when talking about yourself and explaining what you do when having conversations. If you haven't yet signed up for that class, I highly recommend you do so. Simply go to thecmethod.com and sign up there. Alrighty, and that's all from me this week. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Keep on being awesome, and I'll talk to you next week. My name's Christina Cantors, and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs> <laughs>